Hey, welcome to the RSP Quick Game. We're going to dust this off to begin the season here. Mark Schofield, TD Wire. There we go. And myself. There we go. And I'll just say this because my friend says, my friend and advisor, Christopher, who, who helps edit the RSP and who, uh, you know, who basically on every edited page writes, please raise the price to twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> Um, I kid you not, I have to come downstairs and tell my wife and she laughs. So he said, plug your shit. So I am going to say, you know, if you've got a draft coming up, Dynasty Projections, I've got that covered for you, updated. You want you want to just, you know, rookie rankings in depth? Well, get that with the rookie scouting portfolio. Both are available at mattwaldman.com. You can read more about it at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Um, those are really two of the best things that I do. But Absolutely. but coming in a distant third, but still an entertaining third might be some podcasts, especially, and it may even move up a notch or two higher when we get Mark on. So oh boy. we're, we're going to do, we're going to have a good time with this and just start off. Mac Jones in New England, first year, long-term outlook. What, do you, what are your thoughts about old Mac here? I mean... You know, when we studied him, when we've talked about him, you've talked to me, you know, off air a lot about how Mac was the perfect fit in New England. And we've seen that. We've, we've seen that play out over his three preseason games. I think what we've also seen is the importance of the joint practices, because by all accounts, Mac had a tremendous day that one day where he was the starter with Cam out against the New York Giants. I think in terms of first year outlook, look, they're going to do things to protect him, right? They're going to rely on the running game. They're going to rely on your boy, Ramondre Stevenson, who, by the way, is just as advertised, my friend. I mean, they, they were able to trade Sony Michelle because of Ramondre Stevenson. I firmly believe that. Um, they're going to throw to the tight ends. They're going to throw to the running backs. They're going to throw check downs and things like that. But he's in an ideal situation to flourish long term. I mean, I really think the offensive system, the play calling, what they've built in place, it's the ideal environment. It's the things we always talk about pre-draft for quarterbacks, like, you know, landed spots, scheme fit, all of that. And I will say, and I hate to do this, there is a throw he had against the Giants, a dig route coming from the right side where he has to kind of backpedal, not like back away from the line of scrimmage, but like towards the left. So he looks like he's backed out on a way because he's looking downfield, set up the throw downfield. My first thought was 64 max all in. Super Bowl 36, Tom Brady to Troy Brown to get them into field goal position for Adam Vinatieri to split the uprights and beat the Rams. I'm not saying Mac Jones is Tom Brady or the second coming of Tom Brady or anything close to that, but visually, it's it. I was trans, my body was transported to the final year of law school watching that live and being amazed what Tom Brady was doing in that moment. So I'm excited about the long-term presence of Mac Jones in New England. I think it's the right call. I think it was the right decision ultimately. So that's where I am on it. I'm, I'm kind of guessing you feel the same. I absolutely do. And, you know, I thought the best throw I saw from a rookie this preseason, to be honest, was the one against the Giants where that a lot of people have shown where he steps up into the pocket and climbs. Um, and it's, it's like a very efficient, just two-step little move that could have been made with, you know, he could have just pivoted and maybe covered the same amount of space, yeah, but it was, yeah. he, he had to do it that way. And then he takes the hit as he throws the receiver open. You know, I mean, yeah. to me, it was just the combination of that, that showed a lot of what we talked about. I still think about, 
um, the throw that where Nick Bolton hits him and you and I are laughing about it and enjoying the fact that he's, you know, being able to stand yep. in there and make those types of throws. And this reminded me of that, even though it was a different type of play. Um, but uh, I, I think even things like the fact that Josh McDaniels early on, who I, I joke as being kind of, he, he thinks he's like the resident tough guy coach. Like he's Vince Lombardi before the New York Giants veterans got a hold of him and told him to stop being a yeller and yeah. stop acting the way he did. And then he became a great coach. Um, McDaniels has a little bit of that immature Lombardi in him, I think, in some of those factors. But, the the you know, he's a good offensive coordinator for sure. You know, but the the fact that he says early on, Mac Jones is good and get is good at getting yelled at. You know, I think they pro, I think the a lot of the media might have looked at that and saw that as funny, you know, and and just kind of a humor off the uh, off the cuff kind of comment and and it was for that, but I think on another level it was he fits with who we are. Like he can handle he can handle me getting on his case as if it's just like a normal day at the office. He's not going to fall down and like his 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 you know ego isn't psyche isn't going to be crushed by the weight of the way I do things and and I think that's I think that's important especially this year where he's going to get yelled at a lot by you know by McDaniel's yeah. for missing things that rookies miss and and no I don't think he's going to be a great fantasy play for people this year yeah. um, but he's going to be. He's going to make decisions that you're going to look at and go, yeah, this guy gives them something to build on. Yeah. And and they're going to have some you – because know, you look at the receivers and Nelson Aguilar is going to drop a ton of balls, but they're going to keep going to him anyway because yep. he's a good deep threat and he can make plays in the middle of the field. Nikhil Harry still probably can't get open any more than he, than he could in the past two years in terms of separation. And Kendrick Bourne is an overachiever. So, you know, there, then you've got Jacoby Myers. He might say it's the same thing. I'm going to get to him in a second. I'm going to get to him in a second, okay. though. Okay, okay. So, you know, you, all of that's cool. So before you get to him, I do have a follow-up question for you because Ivan Fears, when asked about Ramondre Stevenson after that first game, which, by the way, everybody asked me about it because, you know, I yeah. like Ramondre. And I said, he basically ran through a hole that was big as the DC beltway. You like, yeah. I mean, I was impressed that he was able to hold off a defensive back for a while. Um, but you know, to me, that was like, I think I might've gotten to the line of scrimmage with that, with as big as that crease was. And my wife, even with her bad Achilles probably would have gotten, she would have had a yard 50 yard run. She, she so. might, yeah. She might've beaten Ramondre still actually. I yeah. know her 40 time was faster than his, but, uh, but still, I mean, that's, that's the thing. So did fear say that more to keep his ego in check or is it that, and they're ready to actually use him now, or is it, or is it more, he's just going to have like a, a smaller role kind of rotating in a la JJ Taylor last year. But. No, I, I think that was an ego check moment from Ivan fears who is slowly becoming the second coming of Dante Skarnacki in that veteran old grizzled position coach that, is worth more to this team than people probably know. Okay. I mean, one of the strengths about the Patriots offense is their running back room and their running back depth and the varied skill sets that they have. The thing that told me there were there were two moments that told me that Jones and then Stevenson were going to be bigger players this year than maybe we thought. 
the 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 first preseason game against Washington when they a got Jones in early to get him run against some of Washington's top players and b coming out of halftime manufactured a no huddle environment for him and said look we're going tempo no huddle we're going to simulate a two minute drill for you that told me look this is more of a quarterback co- competition than we thought so that was the Jones moment the Stevenson moment was this when they went started going against the Giants empty with him split out wide. That is the, okay, we know what you can do between the tackles. We have an idea of what you could do as a receiver out of the backfield. But can we go tempo empty with you flexed out wide? And then to see him in that, they run their base play, Haas Juke. He's running the hitch route on the outside, and Jones comes to him immediately for a five-yard throw that he turns into an eight, nine, ten-yard gain because he makes a guy miss, drags up a tackler, that to me, Matt said, okay, they're going to find a way to get him involved. This isn't just, hey, this is fun of the preseason. They're going to find ways to involve him. Their running back room is fascinated. And everybody listening to this is going to ask, well, the, who do we draft then? I don't know. I, I, I don't <laughs> know. Boys and girls, I get asked that question. My parents, my loved ones, I have a home. My home league draft is tonight, Wednesday night. I don't know who you draft out of the New England Patriots backfield because it is such a week-to-week thing. I have strangers coming up to the street and asking me. I, I, if I knew, I would be a much, much richer man. Yeah. But I don't know. But I do think that Stevenson will find a role on this roster, and I do think Ivan Fierce was trying to keep his little his ego in check there. Now, I have the Patriots. I'll, I'll give you a little snapshot of projections of what I've been doing with these guys. And I've been more bullish on Stevenson than most at football guys, I can tell you that. Um so I have the Patriots getting four, give, um, giving the ball 431 times to running backs on rushing attempts. Um, and over the past few years, if you look, let's see, I've got this in the two-year average in the section here. They've averaged about 370 um, touches. They did 341 in, two, in 2020 and 400 carries in 2019. So okay. I kind of, so 431's a little bit on the high side. Um, 17 game schedule, rookie quarterback. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but still I have 246 carries for Damian Harris at 1184 yards and six scores. I have Stevenson next at 142 attempts for 633 yards and four touchdowns. And then I also have Stevenson um, second in the passing game to James White. Because um, yeah. I have White at, you know, 360 yards on 51 targets. But I have Stevenson at 19 targets um, for 106 yards. And Harris comes in a close third for that. So you can see it, it it's kind of a mix and match thing. Think of Stevenson as probably your, you know, I think Stevenson and White will be your red zone backs. Um, yep. I think that, um, you know, Stevenson will also get a chance to be your closeout back. Um, yep. at the end of games. And I all not to jump in. Please. I also think you're going to see a lot of White and Stevenson in the backfield at the same time. I, I really think you're going to see some of that. And I think that's part of the way they use Stevenson down the stretch. Because if you could – what did everybody say when the Patriots signed Henry and Smith? It was, oh, they're going back to the two tight end package with Gronkowski and Hernandez, right? You could manufacture that with White and Stevenson as well. Where if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, say the say they come out in 22 personnel, they've got Jacoby Myers as the lone wide receiver. 
the two tight ends and those two backs. How do you treat that as a defensive coordinator? Do you go heavy? Do you go base? Okay. They're going to spread you out. Yeah. They're going to spread you out and throw against you. And now you've got Stevenson running hitches and slants and, and out routes against linebackers. Yeah. And he's smooth. Yes. And he can block too. I mean, I know yep. that picking up assignments will be the challenge for him, but obviously they're comfortable enough that they're going to use him. And, and, and that's the flip block. side of that because if they if the defense goes nickel, they go down. They say, "Look, they want to spread us out. They're baiting us to go base. We'll go light." Then you just condense the formation. You run out of offset eye or whatever, you know, divide in the backfield. And Stevens can be a blocker. So I'm yeah. I'm so excited about what this offense could be. I've already set myself up though for disappointment. Well, you and me both then. So yeah. let's yeah. let's let's move down. Let's move down a little bit down the coast here. And, and talk a little bit about Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, a lot of people feel like he had a strong preseason. I didn't really watch a ton of it. I mean, I really don't watch a ton of preseason at this point. I'll watch some highlights and look at things. And I read a lot about the preseason, you know. And, and there's certain things I'm looking for when I read it and certain things that I look for when I look at thir- certain highlights. But, you know, Wilson, Wilson was productive. Um, and people say that he and Jones were the the best two quarterbacks coming out of this preseason. At least uh, the masses seem to to say that. So, what are your thoughts first year and long term with with Wilson? As a New England Patriots fan, I am concerned. I will put it that way. I was not a fan of Wilson. I, neither one of us was really like enamored with him. Um, you know, I think he was my three. I don't think he was even that high for you, if I recall correctly. Six. Yeah. But I've been very impressed with two things from him. One, the, men- the mental framework that he's working with, right? He had that fantastic answer, and I'm sure you've seen it, about making mistakes in preseason, making mistakes in practice. And he's saying, look, this is when you find that stuff out. You have to find out what you can and cannot do. And I, I-, I love that approach. Not to make the Mahomes comparison. Here, I've-, I've comped Jones to Brady. Now I'm going Mahomes here. But you remember – all the talk about Mahomes and his first training camp as the started, it was he's throwing all these interceptions. He's making all these mistakes. Oh my God, he's not ready. And people like you and me were like, Andy's letting him figure out what he can and can't do. You know, and that's what they're doing with, with Zach Wilson in, the, in New York. And I love it. And then you see the limited action he got against the Giants. The, he got a bit more action against the Packers. I was impressed with how he played. I was impressed with his footwork in the pocket, the eyes and the mind and the feet all synced up and tied up. I was impressed with some of the reads he made. He had a couple, he had a double post against the Giants where they buzz the safety down and he reads it well, makes a throw on time and rhythm, getting to that second read. I've been very impressed with him. Now, look, the Jets are not going to be a great team this year. Like, so he's probably going to put up some garbage time stats and some big numbers. He might be a valuable commodity in fantasy even this year because of the numbers that will probably end up putting up because their defense is dinged up. Carl Lawson's lost for the season. Like They're going to be chasing games. But I think long-term, him, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, I love the way this offense looks long-term. I love Mekhi Beckett and Elijah Vera Tucker next to each other, protecting Wilson's blind side for the next 10 years. And that was such a good move because it was an acknowledgement that he threw behind some good offensive lines at BYU and was very comfortable in the pocket doing that. We need to send him up similar in, so that's what they've done. So I'm very excited about what they look like long-term. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the thing that impressed me that I heard was, you know, one of the big things on my scouting report that kind of dinged him for me 
was that he seemed unaware at BYU of his limitations when it came to throwing balls on the perimeter where receipt where receivers were not going to be able to make the play because defensive backs were going to be a step faster in the NFL and that oftentimes he took risks on some of these types of throws that he shouldn't and I thought how how easily will it be for him to acclimate to that will he be aware of it throughout the preseason and then will he execute it during the season the fact that the that the Jets staff, that Robert Sala even addressed that specific thing um, and said, we're putting him in situations in practice to figure this out because he's learning that the ball travels faster in college than it does in the NFL. Um, That was a a telling thing for me, and it's a positive that they're already, they already know that, that and the player already knows that. Now, will he... Will he be able to overcome that tendency that's a subconscious tendency in a game? I think early on, no, but I think he'll be able to overcome it eventually because that's been brought up to him. It's not, you know, so it's not a blind, you know, it's not a coaching staff that's kind of blinded into now go, oh, he'll just figure it out along with everything else because we're not really focusing on anything with him. We don't understand quarterback play other than that. He's got a big arm and he, right. he did the whiteboard well. Yeah. You know? So so I think this was a I think this is a good step for him. And I'm I'm with you with the sporting cast. I mean, my biggest concern, I'm more concerned about him this year, though. I think you're right that the garbage time can be a big factor for him as a producer. But I would just tell people for the most part to ignore the Jets media, um, because they are prone to wild swings of behavior. I mean, when I mean every quarterback, I think has been anointed the next Joe Namath uh, at some point in their media, and I know that it's not—it's just tabloid media too. But I would, I would probably stay away from that from them as the people making the assessments, if you can. Um, I will. I will make a plug for the Daily News. DJ Bianamine. Yeah. I don't know if you fall. He's very okay. good, yeah. very reasoned. Like he's somebody that look if you if you want to like read Jets media, like I'd highly recommend him. He's good. very sort of level headed. But you're, I mean, look. Yeah. I remember the Broadway Sam headlines. Yeah. I remember the Broadway Sanchez headlines. Like I remember all of that. So yeah, I mean, if he goes out in week one and somehow beats the Panthers, like. Yeah, the, they're gonna fit him for a gold jacket up there. Exactly, and the thing is, is we need to remember. Who's his veteran quarterback who has started games and been there to mentor him? Who do they? Ha- what is their quarterback room? It's Mike White, you know, yeah, just like oh Josh Jay Johnson. Like, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they let both those guys go. They let yeah. Morgan and and Johnson go, and they just brought on Johnson midseason. I think just as to a just in case kind of mentor they needed. Camp arm, but they yeah, yeah, but they didn't really need any of those guys. So yeah. or they decide not to use any of those guys. But the thing is, is is that because Wilson's got his act together so well? Or is it because this team doesn't have the awareness that maybe they should supply somebody during the year? Because, I mean, I remember Deshaun Kaiser, who had a very nice preseason and got Browns fans super excited. And by year's end, everyone was like, oh, he got thrown under the – anyone who knew anything knew he got thrown under the bus – through a, a feuding coaching staff at the front office and and no quarterback room to speak of with any veterans on it. 
Yeah. I so. mean, we've talked about it before. The presence of a veteran quarterback as a mentor is a big thing. And I believe we're going to talk about that again later in the show. Yeah. So, so, you know, looking at that, I, I think that's the, the young receiving core, you know, that really lacks like veteran leadership. Corey Davis is the one who's been there the most. Jamison Crowder can be there. I, I'll, I'll, I'll add that, I guess, but it's still, you've got young starters on the field. So there's going to be a lot of communication issues. There's going to be a lot of like rookie mistakes out of this offense, but you'll see a lot of highs and lows. So yeah. let's move on. Justin Fields, what do you think about that? I think two things can be true. Justin Fields is the best quarterback on the Chicago Bears roster, period, full stop. Like I, I don't think that's up for debate. But I can almost make a case on, on behalf of Matt Nagy why you don't start him week one. And it's... Yes, it's because it's the Los Angeles Rams on the road week one, their defense, but it's a bit more involved with that. We all saw the moment where Justin Fields got ear holed by a blitzing linebacker against the Buffalo Bills. And people from myself to smarter people like Jeff Schwartz and Dan Orlovsky and Tim Jenkins and everybody else under the sun said that this was a clear blitz look pre-snap that should have been sorted out at the line of scrimmage. And yes, the center on the field probably should have done more to help in that moment. And yes, maybe they should have listened to the right guard who was like like an air traffic control gate operator, like pointed, <laughs> like, hey, look, um, hi. Um, so they didn't slide four guys to the left and leave fields completely unprotected. But that has to get sorted out before you can feel comfortable starting Justin Fields. And if you don't think that could happen before week one, then I don't think you run him on the field against Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and everything that the Rams defense has to offer. Now, also, but beyond that, though, the idea that he hasn't gotten snaps with the first team, the idea that he hasn't gotten run with Allen Robinson, he hasn't gotten run with the David Montgomery's, the Darnell Moody's of the world, if you are going into week one with Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback, don't you then prep Justin Fields to be your backup if something happens to Andy Dalton? Like I, I, I think all five of these first-round rookies are going to be good, or at least right now I could make the case that, yeah, all five of these guys are going to be good. The one I am concerned about the most from an environmental standpoint is Justin Fields. Now, thankfully, when Brian Dable is the head coach of the Chicago Bears next season, this will get sorted out for Justin, but right now I'm a little bit concerned. So short-term worried long-term, I think it's going to get fixed with Brian Dable. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Are you, are you concerned about Matt Nagy at all? There seems to be a lot of criticism about Matt Nagy in the Chicago area. Is that just oh, more fandom or is that? No, I'm very concerned. I mean, we just got done watching Matt Nagy try to develop Mitchell Trubisky thinking there was not a problem an opposing defense could put in front of him that mirrored curl flat could not solve. I mean, when, so he, when you're just when you're just finding five different ways to run the same exact play and it's not working for you, and and look, by you know pretty early on in Trubisky's career, it became apparent that you needed to get him on the move, you needed to roll him out, you needed to get him in boot action, you needed to get him into an offense that is slowly taking over the NFL, the outside zone, wide zone, boot action stuff off of it, that maybe is a crutch and props up poor quarterbacks like Jared Goff, but if that's what you're working with, that's what you got to do. Matt Nagy didn't do it. And, and that's my concern with Matt Nagy. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope for Justin Fields' sake and for Chicago Bears' sake, who have been waiting for a good quarterback since the invention of the telephone, right? that that they figure it out. 
Okay. That makes sense. And and I think that you're right. I mean, I, I'm glad that Andy Dalton's starting to begin the begin the year because exactly for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, if if your your quarterback can't avoid getting ear hold in a situation that he should be able to to prevent, then that's a problem. I mean, you've got to and if you have an offensive coordinator or offensive mind in Nagy who's more theory than practice, you know, he's his his he's like this is the plan, this is my master plan, then and let's stick to it no matter what, and you're stubborn about it, that's not good either. So, you know, maybe the best thing that can happen, I don't know if the best thing that can happen for for Fields is Nagy getting fired and then being able to, like, have, you know, someone else take over, if you, like Dable being able to be right. the guy and be able to have the ultimate call over things. Um, hopefully Dable can have enough sway so that Fields isn't in, in better situations. But, yeah, I mean, this is... The both things can be true thing. I mean, we yeah. talked about we talked about Fields being on the Josh. I've talked about him being on the Josh Allen plan. That would be the ideal thing, and I'm hoping that's the case with him in the NFL. Is that when they do put him on the field, that they're like, listen, it's not a there's not a designed run embedded in any of this stuff. But if if you if you feel at any moment that you need to run, go ahead and run. Just yeah. do it. We'll worry about your second read, your third read, what, you know, your manipulation of the defense, all that. We'll worry about that next year. Yep. Just make plays, brother. Just get yeah. out there. And, Just go out there and have fun. Yeah. And and right. I think that that's, that's my best hope for, for him. But I'm, I'm with you. He's the one I probably am the most concerned about. Well, let's move further out west to our, to our, one of our favorites, Trey Lance and, and, you know, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo seems to be walking around acting like he's excited. Maybe it's because they've got Trey Lance in like a, a modern day Cordell Stewart role to begin the season. Or maybe. or maybe a little more of a Steve McNair type of role to Chris Chandler's uh uh you know, Jim Mc, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo being Chris Chandler where McNair used to come in every third to fifth series and play a series and then they'd you know put him aside and then by late in the season, then it was like, okay, we're going to McNair full time. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I still think that, like we said back last August, like he could, Lance could start week one. Like yeah. I, I really think he could start week one for this system and maybe only this system. Maybe this was the only landing spot where Trey Lance would have been ready to go week one. But that being said, look like Shanahan's played it close to the vast. Number one, number two, they've done some stuff. Red zone packages, run game packages, limited designs. They did the sort of dual quarterback, platoon quarterback thing last week against the Raiders. That makes me think it's going to be like that out of the gate. They're going to have like an opening game drive where it might be technically Trey Lance to start the game where they run their scripted eight plays for him. And then, all right, we'll see you in the second half or we'll see you in a short yarded situation, you know, sometime midway second quarter or something like that. And they're going to roll Garoppolo out there. You know, the, the sort of finger injury that is going to keep Lance sidelined for a week. That probably also means it's much less likely he's the week one starter because obviously now they're getting installs done for week one and everything. But I've been impressed by him. I've been impressed by Lance. I, I think he's, you know, I, I always love when a quarterback makes a mistake and comes back from it, and learns from it. 
he had the interception against the Chargers where he double clutched on a read that was wide open and he was trying to let yam it in there because he was late or he thought he was late. And he's a dude that doesn't need to yam in throws because that arm is an absolute cannon. There are reasons why there are parallels between him and Josh Allen, and that's one of them. I, I, I'm very excited long-term. Um, short-term, it's probably going to be a bit gadgety to start, and they'll see how the season goes. Maybe it's gadgety all year long because they win games and they've got a decent defense and they've got talent and they've got Shanahan and maybe Garoppolo doesn't screw things up that much that they don't need to go to him. But eventually he's their starter. They drafted him like that for a reason, and I'm excited about the long term. As a person who, when asked, airs on the side of sit your quarterbacks a year, I don't care if they're the most starter-ready guy that you have you know, in the draft. To, to me, I mean, Patrick Mahomes was at – to me when he came out and I was so glad they sat him. I'm, I hope that's the same thing. I hope they filter him in and maybe, you know, and that this team continues to win with Garoppolo. And this is kind of a, the Alex Smith and his swan song year for Garoppolo. And, and that will work out for Lance just because he gets to see things from a perspective that I, I think will be helpful to him long-term. And the fact that they get to use him a little bit more on the field Aids my, you know, it kind of aids my confidence in in Kyle Shanahan as a as someone who's like I've seen enough now to go maybe we this is how we need to develop a quarterback and I I need to keep Garoppolo engaged and interested and being an active mentor and if he's playing this year he knows he's getting a tryout because I think yeah. the most frustrating thing for a veteran quarterback is to know that the the previous year's tape was your tryout as opposed to um, everyone knowing now that you're the heir apparent um, before a draft season so they can be prepared about whether they want you, right. you know, in free agency before the draft, you know, because when after the draft, it's kind of like, oh, thanks a lot. I don't even get the benefit of free agency or, or a trade or anything, you know. So I think that this is, the, you know, this is a, the right way to handle things for another, you know, to get the most out of your veteran and 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 still be able to build up your rookie. So and Lance looked great. I loved a, there was a middle of the field play against the Chargers where he did a great job of manipulating the middle of yep. the field. Um, you know the linebackers and being able to you know put a ball in there in a way that I wanted to see. So yeah, I'm a I, I'm I'm thrilled with what I saw from Lance, but I'm even more thrilled even if as a guy who plays in a lot of dynasty leagues, mostly dynasty leagues, and has taken Trey Lance in most of those leagues. I'm yeah. thrilled that he's got a year to, to sit. You know? Lance is very much the, like, if you can, you know, roster him in a dynasty format, do so regardless of cost. And yes, I'm kind of saying that to all the people that sniped me in our dynasty, recently started up dynasty league on Trey Lance. <laughs> it's okay. I came back with Justin Herbert and Mac Jones. So yeah, I'd say you did pretty darn well. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. with that. No, well, listen, let's, let's go, let's go finish down South here. And talk about this this Georgia boy who uh, you, you know seemed to have a pretty good finals preseason game, but talk about a lot of people are concerned about Urban Meyer and will Urban Meyer wreck Trevor Lawrence? So where are you on this? If you were to, if we had done this show this time last week, I'd have said, "Oh my God, this is a problem." This is a break glass in case of emergency situation, and I'm somebody that. I was kind of all in on Jacksonville. I mean, I even went as far during the like draft cycle to say, 
this could be a playoff team. Like I went that far because you look at all the draft capital they had, the cap space they had, Trevor Lawrence, bad division, questions in Indy, questions in Houston, obviously. I moved off that pretty quickly because Urban Meyer, Travis Etienne, like they're all, and then you see the first two preseason games, the route concepts, they're dialing up for him. And it's just like, oh boy, this could be bad. I was heart, very much heartened to see how they did the, in the last preseason game. A lot more favorable quarterback friendly route concepts, quick game, stuff designed to take pressure off Lawrence. There were a lot of times prior to that that he would hit his final step in the pocket and nothing's open. Routes weren't even breaking yet. So I feel a bit better about it now, but I'm still very wary. And there is an Urban Meyer factor here. I mean, now he's having to go to war with the NFLPA for saying something that probably everybody was thinking of doing, but that you shouldn't say. And, and so it's just – it seems like Myers just walking around, stepping on rakes. The the route concepts aren't quarterback friendly, and we've got an offensive coordinator who has done some things in his previous stops that have sort of hindered other quarterbacks. And it just seems like poor Trevor Lawrence is stuck in the eye of the hurricane, doing everything he can right, but it's never going to be good enough because of what's around him. Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of in an Andrew Luck. Russell Wilson kind of early career situation where he's going to be running an awful lot and probably taking a lot of hits. But I think we'll see how good he is. I think he's got the receivers. I think James, you know, I hate to see Travis Etienne hurt. I I want to see him have a good career. But I really thought just from a personnel selection standpoint, James Robinson was the better running back. James Robinson's going to get to prove it once again that right now he's the better running back. As long as we, as long as the fan fears of, of the idea of Urban Meyer shoehorning Carlos Hyde in because irrationally they were, you know, they had history together. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that right. I think that James Robinson is the dude from wire yeah. to wire now, and and that's great because what he did in an offense that had a worse offensive line, worse receiving core last year, worse quarterback. Um, you know, this is. I don't think as bad as Bevel of a reputation Daryl Bevel has. Um, we have to remember that they've still been able to um, we've still seen some good quarterback play out of those offenses. It's not optimal. And that's the problem because you need to see optimized quarterback play at this level. And that's where the criticism is well-deserved, but I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to absolutely wreck Trevor Lawrence um, necessarily, but he is going to make, he's going to hamstring him a little bit. That's for sure. Um, I will say, though, I am ready to have my heart broken again by young LaVisca Chenault. I am ready to have my heart broken again (laughs) because he looks good against Dallas. He's dragging defenders. He's looking like the guy I loved out of Colorado. I am ready to get hurt again, Matt. I'm all in on LaVisca. I've been all in on LaVisca all summer, so I'm right there with you. So so there we go. Now we're going to do some quick thoughts on some players here. Um, just on a few here that are veterans. And first one is Matt Stafford in LA. Another guy I'm kind of all in on. Like I, I, I love Matt Stafford. I've talked about Matt Stafford in the past. Like I, I'm a huge fan of him from a skill set, from a talent standpoint. I would have loved him to replace Tom Brady. We talked about that on this show before. I, I, I think Sean McVay wanted a decisive quarterback. Matthew Stafford is decisive. Now he's going to be in that offense that we saw what it did for a veteran like Aaron Rodgers, outside zone, boot action, all that stuff. So I'm really excited about the Stafford era in L.A. I really am. Well, good. Now, we're going to joke that this is kind of the unofficial 
Georgia show because we have, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. They're both from Georgia. Matthew yep. Stafford played at Georgia. Now we're going to go to a guy who played at Georgia. Do you believe A.J. Green's – oh, wait a minute. I didn't say anything about yeah, Stafford. Yeah, what about Stafford you know, with you? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm with you. I guess that's part of what it is. is I look at it and I think this is a guy who can do more than Jared Goff in the pocket. He's someone who's got the bigger – he's got a cannon – he can yep. make some of these types of plays that Patrick Mahomes has made in the past, maybe not to the degree, but on, but in ways that are reminiscent. And he has the receiving core now. I mean, down to a tight end and Tyler Higby, who I think is better than people realize that the guy from, uh, you know, two years ago that went down to, you know, ham down the stretch. I think you're going to see more of that this year with Higby. Stafford's done it with guys that were like scrubs on the Denver Broncos offense who made their way to Detroit and turned them into like, you know, fantasy caliber tight ends. Um, so I like that. I think the run game is well set up for that with Michelle and with Henderson. They, they're both good receivers out of the backfield. Yep. This guy's got, he's loaded for bear with weapons. And as Dwayne McFarland and I talked about on our projections podcast, Get, if you're in DFS, if you don't get Deshaun Jackson for as long as he's healthy in your lineups every week for the dollar that he will be, heck, they might pay you on DFS to put him in your lineup yep. at the level he is. You're crazy because he is going to be a difference maker for as long as he's healthy going over the top there. Yep. Um, and it's showing up in camp. So, yeah, I'm all in on Stafford. Let's move on to A.J. Green, another Georgia kid who Stafford was thrown to. They're saying in camp, he looks like the same guy we remember seeing. He looks like, uh, you know, he looks ready to go. I, You know, my joke is that this is this the next Hakeem um, Nix situation and Hakeem Nix in, in uh, Indianapolis and they bring him out and now it looks like he's, he's on a walker running around, running routes? Or is this for sure? And the thing that's telling to me, I'll take it first, is I think it's for real, mainly because I think that um, Green, what they want him to be is for real, which is the second wide receiver. And right. I think he's a very good route runner. I said that if they put him in the slot, oh, my God, because he can still run routes so well, he'd be a perfect slot receiver as an aging you know, guy who can be face up against a nickel corner or a safety occasionally, or even if they have to move a guy in with him, He's going to have two-way goes against people. Oh, are you kidding? Still quick. And yeah. so that's part of it. The other is that when DeAndre Hopkins said to the media, I talked to A.J. Green before he came here and said, listen, man, if you come here, or maybe when they when he got there, he said, when you when you come here, we're going to line up on the same side of the field a lot, Or but when we're on the opposite side of the field, if you want my route, if you see something and you want my route, you take it. And they asked, um, you know, you know, they asked Cliff Kingsbury about it. And he said, "That's totally true. If he, you know, they want to switch routes, they can switch at any time. I trust both those guys. They can do what they want." That tells me AJ Green's in for a good year. And me, a good year is nine hundred to eleven hundred yards. I think he can do that this year. I agree with all of what you said. My concern and reservation is in the form of a young, handsome head coach who has yet to prove to me that he can put his players in the position they need to be in to be successful. Like I, everything you said, I absolutely agree with Matt. It's just when I see last year, DeAndre Hopkins lined up on the left side of the field, 98.2% of the time or something ridiculous through like the first 14 weeks of the season, 
that's a concern. Now he got away from it mostly because people like Steven Ruiz, who's now at the Rainer, congrats, Steve, uh, myself and others started saying, Hey, maybe move your guy around to get him favorable matchups. Maybe Cliff has learned. Maybe we are going to see a lot of AJ green in the slot with those two way goes, which would be tremendous for him. Maybe they do let them switch off routes and things like that. Although as a former quarterback, I start, getting nervous when you've got guys doing other things when my eyes are elsewhere. And then I'm thinking he's running hitch. He runs go instead. And I'm throwing a pick like, True. you know, those are the things that sort of get my guard up on that. So I agree with all of what you said. I just want to see if Cliff's able to do it. I think so that's if I, if we see that fair. I'll be completely on board with it. It's just until I see it, I'm more of the cautiously hesitantly optimistic here that I'd say, you know, fully on board with it. I think that, and I think that's probably the smartest way to go with this particular take on it. And I'll just say that you're just basically telling me that you don't, you're jealous of Cliff's house. You know, I'm jealous. Look, look at this. Look at Cliff. I mean, I mean, the man is like living a Bond villain lifestyle right now with that house, with that fire pit in the backyard. Good looking man. Like, who doesn't want to be Cliff? Yeah, but Cliff doesn't have a gremlin over his left shoulder on a bookcase. No, he so, doesn't have Grogu over the... I can never do this. There, that's pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, Grogu's over there. You can see Grogu. Yeah, so who is... I, I need to find out who Grogu is. I'm. Out you of, haven't I'm watched The Mandalorian? Steps. Not yet. Not you yet. gotta watch The Mandalorian, Matt. Oh, I'm telling I'm, you right now. Well, I'm a Star and, Wars fan. I just haven't, haven't gotten the chance to see it yet. Dear listeners, a quick moment from Uncle Mark to you. <laughs> When this episode airs and you see the tweets promoting this episode, please bombard Matt with a request to watch The Mandalorian. We have a bye week ahead of us. It's enough time to binge both season one and season two. So please, gentle listeners, from Uncle Mark to you, convince Matt to watch The Mandalorian. That might have been the moment of every episode we have ever done. That <laughs> I had to. That was fantastic. I, in my defense, in my defense, a quick moment of my defense. I'll well, you've this. learned both the sax and the bass guitar it, well, in the past couple of. You've and, got a lot on your plate. And well, part of it's that, and part of it's that my wife is a multitasker. She likes to multitask, which means that when she relaxes, she likes to be planning the next seven years of our life on a laptop <laughs> while she's while she's watching television shows. Right. Now, I'm a focuser. I'm a focused person. Obviously, I, I do a thing on in-depth in Rookies. So when I watch something, I absorb every detail I can in the first setting. And then maybe I'll watch something again a second time. But see, my wife and I, one of our favorite pastimes is to talk about TV and movies and go in depth about it like we're having like a book club. And so, right. But the thing is, in order for my wife to be at the level of being able to have these conversations, she and the way she watches TV, she needs to watch these shows at least probably 10 times. So my wife has a rotation right now. She has Game of Thrones has been on our TV at least twenty times the whole season. Yeah. Game of Thrones, Mad Men. Um, I'm trying to remember what else we've watched. The Office um, and oh, Dexter, and Ooh. you know, because Dexter, the next we just they're bringing uh, it back. Just, yeah, yeah, they're bringing it back, and the guy's going to do it right supposedly. So hopefully, yeah, because I'm they hoping. ruined that they show. Did, man. They did. They I, did. I, I, I honestly, I we bailed on Dexter. We it, just we, it was the best show on TV until basically uh, 
until basically um, Deb didn't arrest Dexter when she saw him yeah. stabbed. Spoiler yeah. to anybody who actually wanted to watch it. But, you yeah. know, shows like that, we've literally, we've I've watched episodes of these shows like dozens of times now. So at this point, you know, sometimes I get a little bored and now it's time to start, you know, up other well, things can, so that we can have these conversations. You can do what I do, okay? And since I know my wife isn't listening to the show, I can get away with saying, it. oh, my parents will probably tell her. But there will be times when I will literally watch an episode of something we're watching together first on the phone when I can't wait. So it doesn't show up on the TV that it's already been watched. So I'll like sneak watch it. I, I did that a couple of times with Ted Lasso because I couldn't wait. I, I'm just, I really. Yeah, there's times I'm just on a bash and I go forget it. I'm staying up late. But that's the funny thing is my wife's been staying up late lately, which is like weird because she's like. She she's usually like out by nine thirty because after planning the world seven years in advance, right? You know she gets it takes tired. a lot gets, out of you. It takes a lot out of you. you get tired, yeah. so she's usually out. Not that I'm working or practicing <laughs> late at night or that kind of thing. And so lately, the past few weeks, she's been up late. I've been joking. I'm like, now now those those late night trips to the grocery store, you're gonna realize where I hide the bodies now. It's not actually grocery <laughs> store stuff. So. It's, you know, but, um, but this is all, this is all, you know, anyway, that just leads us up to this. Will the league figure out Lamar Jackson the way my wife has figured me out, you know, now that she's been staying up late at night. I, I love this idea that the league has figured out Lamar Jackson. And the way I can tell you the league has not figured out Lamar Jackson is by this little exercise that I always do, which is putting myself in the shoes of an opposing defensive coordinator and saying, okay, you're playing quarterback X on Sunday, how much sleep are you getting started, say, Monday night? If it's Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson, I'm probably sleeping. I'm not sleeping well in either scenario, but I'm going to get a worse week of sleep the week before Lamar Jackson because when it's third and six, I know where Tom Brady is going to be, seven yards behind the center. And I can game plan everything else I need to around that starting point. When it's third and six against Lamar Jackson, I have no idea where he's going to be. He might start there. He might not. He might start there and he might end up there. He might not. There's a lot more you have to worry about. And to sort of try to prove my hypothesis, I reached out to Deontay Lee, now full-time at PFF. Congrats, Deontay. A high school defensive coordinator and a very good one. And I asked him that question. And his answer was, Matt, I will, does, is negative sleep a thing? Because I will lose hours of sleep that I had banked in the weeks past going up against Lamar Jackson rather than Tom Brady. So I don't think the league's figured them out. I think what happened last year, they got static. They felt like they had enough conceptually to get things done. But when I see teams emulated what they do, such as Andy Reid, such as Kyle Shanahan, when they start running counter bash and GT counter and all these run game designs, stealing from the Ravens, that tells me that the league hasn't figured it out. It tells me when teams are stealing stuff that they're, they're still ahead of what defenses are doing. I think we figured out Chris Fowler more than the league than than Chris Fowler's figured out Lamar Jackson or thinks the league's figured them out. And that's and that's common. I mean, I understand that. I think Chris Brown, the great Chris Brown at Smart Football, yep, yep, said yep. it best, which was, you know, so what if they figured out Lamar Jackson? I bet they figured out Lawrence Taylor. I bet they yeah. figured out Earl Campbell. I figured I bet they figured out Patrick yeah. Mahomes. It's about and, you still got to stop said, it. You still got to stop it, and that's what I've that's what I kind of said to, back to him, and we were just kind of you know pointing at each other like in the Spider Man meme, which was yeah. It's one thing to to know what the guy's gonna do. 
It's the other thing about being able to execute to stop him and having the personnel and scheme to do to to be able to stop it. And not everyone has it. Most people don't. You know, so yeah, good luck. You fig- you may yeah. have figured it out now, but now it's about executing against it, and and it ha- the league hasn't evolved enough for that to happen. So, you know, the guy who, the guy who was probably a hot topic this time two years ago in the college football draft circles, you know, was Tua Tungavailoa. Yeah. Last year, I I think we both thought he had moments where he looked re- really good. He had other moments where he needed development, but we learned that he didn't know the playbook. All that well due to COVID and uh, uh, an old friend named Tom didn't know his playbook very well during the first half of the season either. Yeah. As as Mark expertly discussed when it came to route adjustment and op, different types of ways doing option routes, you know, when we did a quick game in midseason about Tom and he quietly threw 40 touchdowns, um, yeah. you know, quietly won a Super Bowl. Yeah. Quietly won a Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. That that's, that's almost as important as the 40 <laughs> touchdowns, I guess, you know, <laughs> but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I loved when we took Mark. But um, you know, Tua, you know, Tua got basically shoehorned into a lineup that seemed to be more playoff ready than the team thought, and the veterans yep. kind of resented that, obviously, because they're like, "What are y'all doing? We go to the playoffs. We yep. get checks when we go to the playoffs. We get yep. some dough. You trying to ruin that for us?" And so obviously they're not happy about that. The media took that and ran with it. Now we've got. The Dolphins didn't deny that they are dealing for Deshaun Watson. What do you think about this dynamic? You know, does this is this the team doesn't like Tua, or is this more Deshaun Watson's the proven thing? If they are even interested in him, yeah, I mean, I, I think if they're even interested in him, which I, I I don't know if they really are or not. I I've been told by people that yeah, it was close, but that seemed seemingly as cooled. Um, on the field, Deshaun Watson is what you hope Tua grows into. So if you get a chance to get Deshaun Watson via trade, then sure, like I, I guess you do that. But there are other issues beyond the sort of on the field between the lines situation here. And trading for a player that may in the next 24 hours, or maybe that ringtone right there was the the notification that it's a, that has happened that could get put on the commissioner's exempt list at any moment doesn't seem to be a smart move. And so from where I sit as talented as Deshaun Watson is, and as funny, as fun it is to watch him when he's on the field, there are other serious considerations at play here over, you know, 20 civil lawsuits, criminal investigations, allegations that need to be investigated and investigated thoroughly people that deserve to be heard in the light of day their cases to be heard in the light of day i don't think i don't think an organization would trade for that player and so you know as much as it might make sense sort of on the field the bigger issue considerations sort of outweigh that i think with respect to specifically tua in miami i think some of what he did this offseason this preseason this training camp showed some development and so i think look you know you, you have the rookie quarterback on the cost control deal like if Somehow, by some miracle, all this stuff goes away tomorrow and it's resolved and it's settled and investigations are closed and there's no wrongdoing, no criminal trials or anything like that. And then, OK, maybe revisit it. But right now, I wouldn't touch it. 
Yeah, and I think that makes perfect sense. The only way I I could see a team trading for Watson is if they have enough information behind the scenes that they believe they're very confident that this all is basically ended for Watson and he's right. going to be a factor for them for multiple years. Um, and and then it's about the known thing on the field versus the unknown. Tua could be great or terrible at this stage. We just don't know enough yet until he's on the field and gets to play enough to where when defenses throw things at him to force him to adjust that he can show he can make those adjustments and that he only has a limited things he only has a limited number of issues in his tool belt that teams can exploit and only some teams can do the exploiting um so at this point yeah i mean i think you have to be all in on tua at, at, at this stage of the game and i thought he showed enough to warrant that i still yeah. think he could easily be the best quarterback in that draft class if if he plays to the level of his promise and he has, he certainly has a surrounding talent. So, you know, at least from the skill player perspective, I think yep. he does. They could, they might be able to add a running back long-term who can do the job, both of Malcolm Brown and miles Gaskin. Um, but you know, from the standpoint of receivers the, you know, there's a lot of promise there for what they can yep. do. So let's go back to Mac Jones, talk a little bit about why they cut cam and Brian Hoyer and and maybe and dovetail that into what makes a good backup for a young starter in general are there different types of backups that teams look for based on what they want from that backup you know and and using this the, this situation as an example yeah and you know in the past like 40 minutes the patriots just signed hoyer to their practice squad yeah um, figured that we, would happen which we figured was yep. probably going to happen because Hoyer is sort of, I think, for many young quarterbacks, like the ideal type of backup. He's not somebody that's going to threaten or cause a rift or anything like that. Like, there's not going to be a member of that Patriots locker room, that veteran players, that's going to say, hey, we need to go to Brian Hoyer. Like, this isn't working. We need to go to Brian Hoyer. Like, I, I can't envision that. I think in the moment, releasing Cam was a shock. But over the 24 hours since, I kind of realized it's the burn the boats move, right? Yeah. It's the, if you bring Cam back but say he's the backup, you could have that rift. You could have that situation where Max struggles and suddenly after the games and the locker rooms, the, the Phil Perrys who I love, the Evan Lazars who I love are in the locker room saying, the Mike DeBates who I love. What do you think about the quarterback situation? Do you think Cam deserves a shot? Like say – that hypothetical and it just becomes an issue this is the burn the boats moment where we're going all in on mac like there's no looking back we're burning the boats there's no other option it's mac jones's team now so i think it's that as far as like backup quarterbacks generally for young passers for rookie passers i think you need more of the brian hoyer type the guy that can mentor the guy that's willing to mentor the guy that's not sort of a like threat to cause that locker room rift um a guy that can look run the offense if need be without a lot of practice time and reps i mean this time last year well almost this time last year when cam went down with covid they went to brian hoyer like basically without practice time they said look you know we found this out on saturday we're playing now monday night or whatever like yeah we're gonna start brian hoyer we're not gonna start jared stidham i mean stidham was you know, he was coming off of an injury, but I, I think Brian Hoyer for what the Patriots have right now is sort of like the, the right backup quarterback guy. Yeah. I would break this down this way. And, and Joe Bryant had asked this question in a, in a, in like kind of a private forum for, for employees at football guys. And, 
And and my response was this: is that it not only is it just the 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 potential for a rift and leadership thing, but Cam Newton's played basically in one, maybe in a couple systems in his career in Carolina. So he's faced defenses that that prepared for those systems. Brian Hoyer has played for the Browns. He's played for the Texans. Um, and he's played for the Patriots. And he backed up Tom Brady for a long time. So yeah. he's the closest link between basically what the Patriots did with Tom Brady, um, you know, on that team. He's yeah. seen he's seen more defensive looks against different systems than Cam has. You don't have to be a great quarterback to be a great mentor to a quarterback if you understand the position well enough to play it at a pro level. And that's yeah. what Brian Hoyer is. He's good enough to play it at a pro level, but he can help Mac Jones more in a film room within this scheme, this Josh yeah. McDaniel scheme, and say here's the variety of things that could happen to you here. Here's what I would recommend. Here's what Tom Brady did when these looks happened, when defenses threw this. Cam can't tell you what Tom Brady did when these things happen, you right. know, and, and Hoyer can back up McDaniels in that respect with that. And also add a quarterback's perspective that McDaniels might not know as well, or be thinking of from an X and O's perspective Whereas Hoyer can give Jones a pocket perspective and say, yeah. yeah, what McDaniels is telling you is right here, but I'd add, you're only going to have like a step before you can do this. So yeah. that's why you don't even want to try that, or that's yeah. why you got to do this. So that's invaluable to have that quarterback in your ear who has all of those things. So I think if you're a team that's like, we're in win now mode and we need a quarterback who can come in and execute the offense at a high level because we're worried about, you know, this guy who's held together by duct tape, then yes. Then maybe you need a guy who has the level of skills that Newton can provide and you can tweak your offense differently enough that you can win with him. But, and the leadership angle, I'm sure, you know, Cam's a strong personality and a strong leader. And so that's the other part too. But people go, well, can he help them with leadership? And I'm thinking... If you couldn't succeed, if you succeeded at Alabama and could give it back to Nick Saban in practices, yep. if you can handle, you know, Josh McDaniels without folding up like a cheap suit, you have, and, and all the veterans are saying what we like about him most is he's reliable. Like he's yep. emotionally a reliable human being. Cam Newton ain't teaching him anything new. You yeah. know, because what Cam Newton will show from a leadership perspective that Mac Jones can't will be something on the field that's that's individual to Cam that no quarterback will be able to do other than right. Cam. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. So let's do some quick round stuff. We've got a, a questions that I think we can go pretty quickly through here um, in our little two-minute drill. Who's the rookie receiver you're most excited to watch this year? Devonta Smith, he looked great against the Patriots. Just smooth releases off the line, can be pressed. He wasn't my top guy. I was more, I was higher on Chase. I'm a little worried about Chase. Smith, I'm very excited to watch. Yeah. I'm not as worried about Chase, so I think this year's going to be up and down for him. I think he's got an adjustment year because he's just rusty. I think yeah. rusty a year off and a step up in competition. He's going to have a lot of drops. I joked around. I watched Jerry Rice 
feels like 30 years ago now and as a kid and wondered the same thing his first year when he dropped the ball all over the place he seemed to have a pretty good career I think Jamar yeah, Chase will have a pretty good, good career but the guy I'm most excited about is Rondale Moore just from the standpoint if Mark if Mark's concerns which are quite valid turn out not to be the case Rondale Moore it could be in a position to have an amazing year and this and I think he's gonna have a better early part of his career than a late one because I, I'm a little worried about his frame and how he holds up you know just because the, like DK Metcalf can the human body bend with all that muscle right. on it the way that right. it can um who's the second or third year player you that who hasn't emerged yet but you're anticipating will emerge this is my Jacoby Myers moment. I, I am so high on Jacoby Myers. Like if you're going to, you know, roster a Patriots receiver, whether it's, you know, redraft, even dynasty, I think he's the guy. I, I love how he works himself open. I love his feel for the game as a former quarterback himself. Like he gets it. He gets how to get into space, how to get into the quarterback's line of sight. He knows what QBs are, are looking for when they're in the pocket. So, and he's got a, what seems to be a pretty good relationship already with Mac Jones. So that's the guy. I'm Brian Edwards. I'm all in on Brian Edwards, the receiver out of the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, you know, last year, Derek Carr compared him to his old throwing mate, Devontae Adams, in terms of their ability to have rapport together and make adjustments with him. Then he got hurt early on and really never, and his season was derailed from an injury this year. Now we got, now we got players comparing him to Randy Moss and Terrell Owens. It's a little over the top. But he does have the catch radius. He's strong as can be. He is fast. He's good after the catch. And he's starting. And he started all year. And John Brown asked for his release. Now, that may have to do more with the dynamic in Las Vegas. And we can we may find out more about that later. And whether he was sold on this coaching staff. Or it might have been seeing the writing on the wall and going, I'm not going to have as much of an impact on this team as I anticipate. And I'd like my release and get a chance to hook on with somebody else as a veteran. You know, I'm sure it's a combination of both. But but Edwards seems to be the guy that's going to challenge Darren Waller for re- receiving yards and receptions and touchdowns probably yeah. this year. So I'm, I'm big on him. Who's the team to beat in the NFC? I still think it's Tampa Bay. And for reasons that I think, you know, when you talk about something, I pay attention. When you started saying back springtime, that Brady was going to be better this year than he was this past season when he won a Super Bowl and threw for 40 touchdowns. I paid attention, and I think you're absolutely right. He's healthy. He knows the offense now. They're bringing everybody back. Joe Tryon, who they drafted at the end of the first round, he's looked fantastic. I was literally just writing about him this morning. Um, I think it's Tampa Bay still. Yeah, I think so too. And when, when you add to the fact that the things that you brought up last year about the, the option routes and adjustments, the fact this team can't run the ball very well and yep. they know it. And they're, yep. you know, John Ledyard who does, does fantastic work. He and I are doing a show this week on an off football topic thing that is probably guaranteed for me to, you know, to um, ingratiate myself to my, to my new fans probably everywhere. Um, right. But I don't care. Um, so it will be uh, one of those things where, you know, John and I, you know, John did a really great job of talking about this run game and how it is a a duo run game in a lot of ways and it's smaller block smaller creases. So they're not gonna get a lot of push and you're gonna see a team that's not very efficient on the ground, which leads to throwing the ball more. They're gonna yep. throw the, a lot more short passes because they're gonna be able to make adjustments and and you know open the field. So to me, 
you know, add that and t- and the fact that Antonio Brown needed knee surgery apparently for the past three years and hasn't really been himself and has been dominant in camp. Mike Evans has been dominant in camp. Best he's looked in three years, according to his wide receiver coach. Chris Godwin still says, oh, you need me to show you that I can, that I'm still one of the top starters in the league at my position. He turns it on and looks great. Gronkowski still looks awesome, you know? So, and then you throw in guys like Jalen Darden, who, who's looked good in, in moments and can be a fourth or fifth option um, when they spread out. Yeah. And Giovanni Bernard, let's not forget to me, he's a better version of James White, if you ask me. Um, and if he gets it, and he's going to be used a lot in the red zone as a, and split out. So yeah, I think 50 touchdowns for Tom Brady is, is really what we're looking at here. Yeah. All right. So who's the team that could challenge um, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this year as the team to beat? There are a couple of different choices here, but I'm going to say the Rams. Um, you look at what they can do defensively. We know it's a good defense. Yes. There'll be a bit of a brain drain with Staley now across town, but it's a very talented defense on paper. They lost some players. It's still going to be a very talented defense. But then you're going to have an offense that I think can keep pace with that defense now with Matthew Stafford. I, I know it's almost become like when the Stafford trade went down, a lot of people are like, oh, man, the Rams are going to be great. Now it seems like people are sort of moving off of that for one reason or another. So maybe it seems sort of contrarian to go back in on them. But I think it's the Rams. I think it's the Atlanta. No, I'm kidding. I think it's the Rams <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, and for all of those reasons, I think this is the year that Stafford really challenges for, you know, being producing elite quarterback product, giving elite quarterback production, and it really helps out this um, Rams defense in a way that they weren't helped out last year. So I'm with you. AFC, you know, where are you at? Who's your team to beat? Hmm. I'm going to do something that might anger some people on the show, but the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to say <laughs> it's the Cleveland Browns. And I, I have said I'm not this so superstitious. Many times. It's okay. Okay, I've said this so many times this summer on various pods and radio shows and things like that. And you and I have talked about this for a while now, along with Sigmund Bloom. Like, I remember draft night when Mahomes was picked and the Chiefs traded up to get him. And Sigmund said something effective. I love when a team has a plan for the future and executes it. Similar to that, I love when a team goes through the self-scouting process, realizes what they need to improve upon, and then does it. That's what the Browns did. We couldn't stop Patrick Mahomes. We're going to struggle against guys like Malar Jackson and Josh Allen. We need to improve our defense. So let's go get John Johnson the third. Let's go get Troy Hill. Let's draft Greg Newsome. Let's draft Jeremiah Owosu-Kamara. Let's add Jadavion Clowney. Let's turn around Malik McDowell, who has looked great during training camp and preseason and won a roster spot. It could be an incredible presence on the interior with Garrett, with Clowney on the edges. I love what they did this offseason. And I know it's the Bills, and I know it's the Chiefs and some other teams, of course. And the Bills and Chiefs are a very sort of trendy pick to you know meet again in the AFC Championship game, and I get that. I just love what Cleveland's done. Well, I'm going to say it's the Chiefs are the team to beat, um, mainly because, I, you know, Mahomes. Mahomes yeah. and, and Tyree it's- Kill and, and Travis Kelsey, I'm with you. But I will, and I don't have to say anything more about that, but I will begin that my answer of the team that could beat the team to beat is absolutely the Cleveland Browns for all the reasons that you suggested. Yeah. I'm huge on adding Jadavian Clowney because even though he's not a fundamental piece to making the defense great, him as an over-the-top frosting-on-the-cake type of piece to be yeah. a disruptive run game presence... 
um, er, on early downs in addition to what he can do as a pass rusher at times and what, what they can do to scheme him in the positions with Miles Garrett being the, that core piece. Wow, that can be a nightmare. Yeah. And I'm going to add a player just as a Browns fan that I mentioned this spring who I know a good bit about and have studied. And he ended up in a car accident his senior year. And they and they found him basically unconscious on the lying out on the road and couldn't play his senior year and didn't get drafted. And that's Richard LeCount, the free safety. They listen, Richard LeCount, he the fact that he even had a combine and worked yeah. out was like a testament to his ability to recover fast enough. He didn't he wasn't the same athlete at that point. He's the same athlete he was before the accident now. That dude is making plays left and right in camp. He is b- yeah. backing up John Johnson. Yeah. And if they need him in the game, you're not going to see. I think this is a guy in a year or two, there's not going to be much drop off, and he may end up being their long term starter. And yeah. he may be the steal of, uh, you know, of that class yeah. from, a, from a perspective there. So Cleveland's doing a really good job of scouting and uh, uh, getting their team there. So who's your team that could beat? The Cleveland Browns. I mean, it's it's the Chiefs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it, they had to load up for a reason, and that reason is number 15. And so – and I look, there's a lot to love about what the Chiefs did. They, in a similar position, what was their weakness? Protecting 15. What did they do? Joe Tooney, you know, Orlando Brown, Creed Humphrey, Troy Smith. Like, Troy Smith, they, they said, look, we got to rebuild our offensive line. Let's go do it. So – they did it too. So, I mean, they did, they did a great job of self-scouting. Mahomes himself has done a great job of self-scouting. Um, you know, he's had a lot of comments about what he needs to improve upon. So, yeah, it's the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a Chiefs-Browns championship game there for sure. So, you're merging NFC and AFC teams. NFC, Washington. I mean, it maybe part of it is being in this area, but I love what they have on defense. I love what they have up front. Like, you know, they gave Tampa Bay a bit of a scare in the, you know, in the wildcard round last year. I like what they've put together on offense. Demi Brown has looked pretty good. I liked him coming out of North Carolina. Fitzpatrick gives them at least stability at the position, which they had a horrible quarterback situation last year. And they're in the NFC East, which the Giants look to be a huge question mark still. The Eagles have some issues. A lot of people have said that's a bottom five roster in the league. I don't know if I go that far, but it's not great. And look, the Dallas Cowboys, if Dak's healthy, they'll be an okay team, but how great are they really going to be? I think it's Washington. In the AFC, you know, do we say Miami? I mean, maybe maybe it's Miami. I mean, you you look at – they were close last year, and now if you've got like a better two, version of Tua than you had a year ago, that might be the easy one right there. Denver has a very talented roster. And if, if, if Teddy could just sort of run the run the system, man the ship, you know, don't steer into any icebergs, that could be a pretty good team too. Yeah, I like both those picks. And Miami certainly was my pick when you look at that skill talent. I think Jalen Waddle will be the best wide receiver of the rookie class this year. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to watch him, even though – the the one I'm most excited to watch is Rondale Moore because of what yeah. could happen in theory. Yeah. Um, then, you know, for the NFC, my heart would tell you, and my heart is messed up and kind of dysfunctional, yeah. so <laughs> it would like to say the Detroit Lions just because I think that Dan Campbell, there's something about Dan Campbell 
that this team will be better than the way people make fun of them. I, it speaks to me what a coach should be, and I think that they're going to head, but they have too many holes. Um, I don't, like you said, I'm not, a, I'm skeptical about Kingsbury, but the talent on offense there, I, yeah. I find it hard, you know, and there's a lot of athletic talent on defense there with that team too. So yeah. I think they could be the up, up and coming team there. All right. Final question, because this was one I wanted to ask you for some time or wanted to have asked with you at some point. This was just kind of a fun, a fun moment here. We're going to play a little castaways question here from Mark Schofield. If you Mark, if you were abandoned on an island with Doug Farrar, Michael Kist, Ben Solak, and yours truly, which one, including yourself, would you A, trust the most to keep the group from dying? I'm going to go with Doug there. Um, And and I've I've seen now working with Doug on two different occasions, and most notably the NFL 1000 project. Back at Bleacher Report back in the day, when he had to herd people like myself and Brandon Thorne and Duke Mannyweather and Justice Mosqueda and Charles McDonald and, you know, Ethan Young and so many other people and like get us all on the same page, pulling together on this massive project where we tried to sort of beat PFF at their own game by watching and grading every player every week. The fact that he was able to lift that off the ground and keep it in the air for three seasons, I think it was a pretty impressive effort. So I'd probably trust him to keep us alive because if he could do that, I, I think he could keep us knuckleheads alive for a little while. I, that's a good answer. I'm actually going to say you because what? I think, yes, because I think, <laughs> I think you're a good barometer for knowing when something is likely going to be messed up and not a good idea to try. So like you're, you, you I know, can see that, you, but I, yeah, I think we're going to get to the next question. And that's what I name comes up. If you ask me, well, see, that's the thing. See, I would look at you as a barometer to go, if you're about to pull your hair out at some ideas that are going on, I know this is probably too dangerous to try. Yeah. And if Doug can't convince you, then I know that you'll probably that that we need to like stick with what you're saying. So who do you think would go insane? Me. You, you think easily? Me. I know how my brain works. Okay. Like I would probably be insane within the first like 45 seconds. I'd just be like, you know, that's it. It's over, man. It's over. It's not. We're all gonna die. We're gonna die out here. Like this is. This is not fun at all. So I'm going to say me for the one that goes insane. See, I'm going to say it's either Kist or Solak for different. See, I reasons. was I was going to say Ben, but I have an, I know yeah. I have another one yeah. set aside for Ben because I think Ben is the smartest person of the group. And watching us knuckleheads try and do different things or react to different situations might drive him crazy. So there's right. that. But I think he's smart enough to probably bide his time to pick his spots there. So I'm not going to say that. Um, I think it's Kist because I do think Kist has a screw loose a little bit, you know, <laughs> and and I say that in a good way, but I also think that I don't know him well enough. So I would say from what I know of him, he's more likely to do something crazy and, and then like, go well, I think the we're grid. of the same. I think we're of the same mind because the next category is who would be the most content staying there. Yeah. And for me, it's Michael Kist because <laughs> he's going to want to stay there. <laughs> He's just gonna look at me and be like, I don't need to worry about Twitter anymore. I didn't I don't need to worry about anything else anymore. 
I can just stay on this island and be happy. Like, and I think you need to have a bit of a screw loose to have that mindset. So I, I think we're of the same mind here. But for me, the one that's going to be the most content in that scenario <laughs> to stay there is Kiss. Yeah, I'm. I uh, if I were to have a moment of not knowing myself well, I would say it would be me that would be the yeah. most content to be staying there. But I'm. I realize that probably that's not the case. So yeah, it would have to be. I I don't have a great answer for that one because I don't I know it wouldn't be Doug. Yeah. I know it, you know, I think Ben could Ben could resolve to himself that might that might have to be the case and figure out some things to do that would make make it like you know, make it livable. So I'm like I think Ben would probably be on my short list there with that one. Um who'd make the experience fun? It's absolutely you. It is absolutely you. And I would say this was the easiest one for me because I know by like day three, you will have a coconut drum kit. You will have rigged a bass guitar with some leaves and some branches. You will have a one man band playing music for us the entire time. Like you would make the experience fun. Like I am convinced of that. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad I can entertain at least. That's good. So yeah. I'll, I'll go with that. I was going to say, I, I was going to say, and that one kissed might be the fun one too, just watching his antics. So that yeah. I was for me at least, but that's cool. Okay. So who'd have the best shot of creating a way to get off the Island and have the guts to make it happen. It's Ben Solak. It is 100% Ben Solak. Okay. And I remember years ago when Ben was kind of started out, uh, you know, locked on Eagles with kissed. I remember having a conversation with him offline being like, man, you're absolutely brilliant. Like you could do better than this. Like you could do better than like football analysis. Um, and he was like, no, no, no. You know, I, what I do in school, what I'm studying, like it's a value, it's human evaluation and development. So, you know, draft stuff is, is kind of a branch off that, but I am 100% convinced, you know, as, as awesome as it is to see Ben at the Rainer and to see where he's gone and the growth and the development and the doors that he's opened up and the tremendous work that he does. I am 100% convinced that if Ben decided to walk away and like invent space time continuum, like travel, if he wanted to go off and be Rick of Rick and Morty, he's smart enough that he could do that in a heartbeat. And so I, I think Ben would be the one to say, okay, I'm going to build the boat. I'm going to rig the radio. I'm going to, you know, rig the satellite out of you know, 15 coconuts and some sand and get it done. See, I, I think it's, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think, I, but then the more I thought about it, honestly, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but I think it's the real answer. I think the real answer is all of us because I think, because the real answer would be, and it maybe not be the fun one, but the real answer is that I think that we'd have enough people who, this would be a good combination of people who can, some could lead at certain points. Some could follow at certain points. I don't think we'd have any issues of people willing to be followers in this situation. Right. I think that, but there'd be enough people to speak up and be contrary about stuff and question things for at least the folks to, like I could see like me, Doug and Michael having the most vocal arguments about stuff, but at the end of the day, being able to put it aside and go, okay, well, we we may not agree with the answer, but we got to go with an answer. So yeah. let's do it. And then we get to work to do it, even if it was, you know, and then between you, because I think, I think, you know, you, me, you, me and 
you, me, Doug, and Michael, and all of us could probably be good soldiers at the same time of being able to be vocal about something at a certain point. And yeah. we'd all, I think, would figure out what we did best and what we needed to avoid, like the plague. Yeah. And and we'd all self-scout well enough that I think by, we'd get off the island. Or we'd all die, but we'd all at least feel we, like we yeah, took a we shot. We took shot. our best shot. Yeah. And we yeah. were okay with it, not upset with each other as, as a result of it. We wouldn't as be we pointing. Sank. Yeah, we wouldn't be pointing fingers at each other as we sank. We'd just be yeah. like, we did what we needed to do. And, and we'd probably toast to that one coconut with the one bit of seawater we had left that we knew we yeah. were going to, you know, whatever, and, and go down with the ship. So... <laughs> So, my friends, well, I hope you enjoyed this, this preview as much as we did. You know, speaking of going down with the ship, because 30 teams are probably well, – how many teams are in the league these days? I always forget. Is it 30 or 32? I'm still 32? back in – I'm still back in 28 days, like back in the 70s. But, uh, you know, 31 teams are going to go down with the ship, you know, at some point down this down this line. So, like, like the – you know, Mark and I and – the other three people we recruited onto this island will uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the adventure that it is that is the NFL, and we'll obviously talk more college football as that season gets kicked off and start talking about draft. And if you want to subscribe to this, you can find this crazy show as my <laughs> earphone comes off of my my thing. I need a new I need a new um, headset here. Um, you know you can subscribe to the show in pretty much every format. It's on every format: Spotify, Apple. You know. Um, Podbean, you know, whatever they make up these days, I try to get it on it. So we're good with that. And uh, of course, you can find Mark at TD Wire. You can find Mark, you know, talking Eagles, you talking Patriots. You can find him in Canada. You can, if they, if there's a show in in Europe, I'm sure they've recruited him to do that, doing that work because he does great work talking about the NFL, talking about prospects, talk especially talking about quarterbacks. Um, you know, very, very, very happy and fortunate to have him as my podcast partner throughout the year when we do these shows. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening, folks. Get your RSP stuff if you have drafts coming up and uh, have a good week. <laughs>